If you have your Bibles, I would like to invite you to take them and turn with me to the book of Romans. No surprise there. Chapter 12, still no surprise. Verse 16, as Pastor Stewart introduced for us already this morning our text. I want to welcome every single one of you to Big Woods Bible Church this morning. It is always, it is always a delight, a privilege to be together like this, to sing, to worship, to focus all of our attention on the Lord. I do want to um, welcome our dear Ukrainian uh, friends and family members officially to Big Woods Bible Church. Now, I know... Thank you. I I know there's still some family not feeling 100%, so they will be joining us later. And I know that some may be saying, well, we're referring to them as the Ukrainian family. Doesn't that sound a little rude? I've chatted with Dimitri. He is extending to us much grace because we're all trying to work on the official pronunciation of their last name. So we are working on that. Our dear brother, please extend us grace. And we have been praying for you. You are the answer to many, many prayers. And Dimitri, as one father to another, one husband to another, one uncle to another, I am proud of you for protecting and shepherding your family well. God is so good to us. Happy Mother's Day, by the way, a week late. Forgive me, moms. You're still cool this week. Appreciated the challenge. We were able to spend some time with our grandchildren, some of our grandchildren. But it is always a delight to be home. Would you bow your heads and pray with me as we look into a most important subject for where we are at together as a church, not just here, but as the church of Jesus Christ. And we need to hear a word from the Lord this morning. Would you bow your heads and pray? Father, we do come before you and we thank you. All of our our energy, our our efforts, our attention are, are directed towards you. We worship you. We extol you. We adore you. You lavish your grace upon us when we're so undeserving. Your love is unceasing, unending. Your mercies, as we were reminded from Lamentations, are new every single day. Today, this day. And we pray, Lord, that you would continue to have mercy on each one of our souls. As Lord willing today, the Holy Spirit allows us to look deep within to see if there is anything that we need to confess when it comes to our relationships towards one another. Lord, I I love this body. I love what you're doing amongst us. And I, I would pray, Lord, today that a clear, concise word would be spoken this morning from you, that you would be heard, that a man would not be the focus at all. Please, I am in desperate need for you to give me clarity of thought and mind. And please guard my mouth. Father, I, I pray for individuals. I think of Dimitri and his precious family and others suffering in Ukraine. And I pray, Lord, for protection. I pray, Lord, that your perfect will would be accomplished. And, Lord, as difficult as it is, we admit, we pray for our enemies and for mercy upon them. Father, we pray for our community um, as we are once again reminded of the many, many needs. We, we think, Lord, of the responsibility that we have to offer a cup of cold water to the thirsty We think, Lord, particularly of those, Lord, the numbers are are many, the numbers are great of people that are caught and ensnared and entrapped in addiction. Father, as we gather together, may may it not be a subject that we glance over. May we gather and may we plead for your help to minister to to have the gospel clearly presented to free people 
that we would be faithful, that we would be faithful. Speak now, Lord, please. You've given us ears to hear. May we hear you well. We ask this in the amazing and matchless name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Our journey uh, throughout this chapter has been slow and steady. Um, you know me, I, I hate to move slow. I, I like to move quickly. And, and so this has been by design on purpose. And it is wise for us as we've been looking at each one. And in total there's 13 imperatives. 13 commands for us to listen to. All, all of them... Everything that we do as a local church is to be obeyed with an overarching theme. Everything is to be done in and with love towards one another. Practically speaking, this means what? Your, your individualism, the way that you express yourself, that the world is saying just, just express who you are. Your individualism, your interests, your likes, even your gifts, your strength, all of that gives way... To our corporate good. Corporate good. And what? And for the glory of God. And that, that becomes an amazing, a powerful testimony of the gospel at work in our lives. The powerful testimony of the community that we've been called to live in. Here's our, here's our text for us. It's, it's short. But there's actually more here than we've seen in the last couple of verses. Romans chapter 12, verse 16, it says, Live in harmony with one another and do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never underline that. Underline that word. Never. Be wise in your own sight. There is a paraphrase that Eugene Peterson, not a translation to be clear, and Peterson translates, excuse me, paraphrases, that exact verse with these words. Get along with each other. Don't be stuck up. Make friends with nobodies and don't be the great somebody. And, and, and I like that. I, I think there's help here. As we continue on our journey, which is what? We are on a constant quest for gospel effectiveness. I don't want to just be a church that gathers. I want to be a church that is effective for the work of the gospel that we have been called to. In our quest for gospel effectiveness, we come upon two more necessary components. And this morning I've chosen to call them proofs. Two proofs. What is a proof? The proof is a demonstration of something that we already know to be evidence. It's, it's evidence of the obvious. If you see what? Branches moving. Okay, trees swaying, leaves moving. You look at that and it's what? It's what we call a no-doubter. It's windy out there. Okay, like it's pretty obvious. You watch the sun go down at night, and it's a no-doubter. Guess what's going to happen? It's going to get dark. You watch the sun come up in the morning, and guess what? Shock, surprise, it's going to get light. These are what we call absolutes. Likewise, we begin with one of two proofs. Proof number one of a healthy church, or proof number one of an effective church is that we are characterized by harmony. It says, live in harmony with one another. There are several translations, the New American Standard, the New King James. The King James says, be of the same mind toward one another. Live in harmony. This word harmony is rather interesting because it, it, it actually can see why certain translations go with with." Um, same mind, and other translations go with harmony in a sense because both words are used in the original language. The definition of this word harmony means the quality of forming a pleasing and consistent whole, to be in agreement or concord. Greek word same is autos, it's that which is identical to something. Harmony is also found here, phronia, which means to have the same attitude or the same regard for. 
Matthew Henry says this. Listen very carefully to this. This is an amazing help for us as we begin our thoughts for this morning. And Henry says, Matthew Henry says, labor as much as you can to agree in apprehension. Okay, just think about that for a moment. I'm going to agree in apprehension, which means what? We've all been a setting before, and we're like, uh, apprehension. Like, yeah, I can agree, maybe, kind of. Like, I can, I'm trying to see your view. Matthew Henry says what? This verse speaks about what? As much as you can agree in apprehension, and when you come short of this, yet agree in affection. And I love that. Which means what? This many people gather us together. It's going to be like, "Ah, I agree with you. Kind of. With apprehension. But when I think of my affection that I have for you. And Lord willing, the affection that we have for one another. I know my brother's heart. I know what my, my sister longs for and desires. And I can agree not just in apprehension, but in affection towards one another. Matthew Henry continues on, endeavor to be all one, not affecting to clash and contradict and thwart one another, but keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And we know, obviously, it begins with, I think there's a foundational part here. The author is referring to Doctrinal unity, but it's more than doctrinal unity. Now, before we get to the more than doctrinal unity, we've got to be on the same page at some level. It's important that we are what? Brothers and sisters, we are sons and daughters of the same Heavenly Father. We we believe the same things. After all, there is one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. We are to agree with the content of our what? Of our doctrine. Call them whatever you want. I refer to them, and that's what they are. They're, they're creeds and confessions. We confess certain things together. We're in agreement of. We confess what? The deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. You move from that, you get into the Mormon world and craziness that exists out there. The deity of Christ. Jesus Christ is God incarnate. We believe in that. We agree in that. The authority and the sufficiency of Scripture. This is it. We don't go looking around for other stuff. This is what we live by. This is what we teach. We, we confess that together. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. These are foundational doctrinal issues that bring us together. And yet what Paul is speaking about here is more than just doctrinal agreement. He's speaking about more than just doctrinal unity. Any, and I put here in quotes, experienced churchgoer knows, end quote, anyone who's been here for what? More than what? A week, two weeks, three weeks, a month, six months? You're kind of used to what's going on here. Robert Yarbrough says, any experienced churchgoer knows Christian congregations can be havens of strife. End quote. You know, I, I read that and, and it pierces. That, that people are well... They're, 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 it's, very, it's very well known to them. People are very familiar with the idea that where people gather as congregation, strife exists. I, I just recently met a man sitting with him and speaking with him and he was telling me about his background and he said, I, 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 I left a church. I walked away from a church because strife was there. And he said, I wish I didn't. He goes, I wish I didn't. I wish I would have stayed. I wish I would have worked through it. And I thought it was a wonderful reminder 
of, of how and what we are called to do here. Paul actually fears for his Roman brothers and sisters. He fears for them, but he understands that what love, true love, affection makes living in harmony possible. Therefore, it has to do, it has to do with our affections, I think, first and foremost, for the Lord Jesus Christ, and we have our focus on him, then, man, I can agree with you. Because we love one another. We are, we are to what? Have a certain kind. We're to have the same kind of affection one toward another. Which means it's not an affection that is reserved for a few small elite group that you all agree with in one particular corner. It, it's not about a clique. It's rather an affection for what? The larger group. We're to have similar affections for the whole body of Christ. And it was radical. This was radical thinking. It was radical writing in Paul's day, in Paul's particular context. Peter Oakes, in his commentary, Reading Romans, says this. It includes the homeless, the migrant, the cabinet maker, the household servant, the elite, the wealthy, the Jew, and the Gentile. They're all called to live in harmony, to love in harmony. And he ends with what? A powerful witness for the kingdom of God. How are we going to minister to others out there until we begin to what? Have affections truly for one another in here. I know that you're like, oh, enough. I get it. Of course that's what we do. We love one another. We have affections towards one another. No, this is the difference. This is not just intellectually it's not just what we know we're supposed to do, but I, I want to pause on how this happens practically, what this looks like amongst us. And you can't continue to do exactly the same thing and expect different results. That's the definition that we use of what? You're crazy. You're insane to think that. Things must happen differently. And obviously it can be challenging because... We only, have, we only have so much capacity. We can only spend so much time with so many people. What, what to do? How to do this? This unity among us is to reflect the unity of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's why our Trinitarian doctrine is so important. Why? Because it's an evidence of how we belong to one another. Now, this is not a, let's just close our eyes, hum, take off our shoes and socks, and just kind of what? Hope for it. This is not just grit our teeth and pretend that we hear harps strumming and soft music. Don't you hear that? No, it's, it's not that. This actually entails what I call working through conflict. This demands a sensitive, a humble, and a, a loving culture of what I call what? Healthy, here's that word, confrontation. It demands it. Healthy confrontation. When we know, we know there's just too many words that come out of our mouth. There's too many what? Eyes that roll. And we know that there's misunderstanding that happens. We know that there's miscommunication that takes place. We know that those things cause what? Wounds and hurts. Which means what? As a body of believers, brothers and sisters, same Heavenly Father, let me assure you of this. There will be awkward conversations. Get used to it. It's got to happen. As a church that is faithful and 
obedient, effective to the work of the gospel, there will be repentance that is required. There will be forgiveness that is extended. Tony Merida says it like this, harmony takes hard work, humble work, heart work. Write that down. That's like good stuff. I didn't say that, okay? I wish I could. I just wish. That's Tony Merida, M-E-R-I-D-A. Listen to this. Harmony takes hard work, humble work, heart work, which is also what? It's determining what is necessary to have confrontation or conflict about. Like, what, is, what, are, what are we stuck on that we just have to move through? Wendy and I had a, I want to be careful with the word, how it's used, a, a disagreement. No, 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 no. We didn't have the disagreement. We together had a disagreement with another couple. And it wasn't, it wasn't earth-shattering, it wasn't major, it wasn't doctrinal, it wasn't a sin issue. It's more like, yeah, we don't see it. Sorry. We could say it's, it's preference, we could call it conviction. I just, we just don't align with you. Sorry. And what happens in those situations is that what, at some level there's a distance you just kind of pass one another and, and, and a distance, literally for months. Until what was rather interesting is that, that in God's providence, in God's providence, wasn't their decision, wasn't their choice, I'm sure, wasn't our choice, we ended up sitting at the exact same table together at dinner in God's providence. Can I... Can I tell you something? It was sweet. We talked openly and honestly. And there were, there, were, there were differences that didn't even need to be addressed. Because why? It's not a major issue. It was, it was precious. It was, it was koinia. It was, it was pleasant to be in conversation alongside. And, and, I, and I thought about that. Granted, sometimes divisions have to be, in a sense, endured. And, and what I would say, transcendent. Like, you're, you're not going to agree with every single person on every single matter. That's okay. They're your brother, sister in Christ. You're going to spend eternity together. You better get used to it. Which I think, in a sense, leads us perfectly into proof number two. What, 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 in a sense, is demanded here? Proof number two of a healthy church is humility. Do not be haughty. Don't think that you're the great somebody, as Peterson would say. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never. You just underlined it. Be wise in your own sight. Now, thankfully, the gospel at work in one's life should eliminate or, or at least minimalize any haughty attitude and behavior. Because the gospel, in a sense, the, the playing field is level. We all, what? Please have mercy upon me, O oh God, a sinner. It, in a sense, what? A view of the gospel understands you, you know where I think an example, I'm, I was like, how do, we, how do we explain, how do we illustrate, how do we show this? I think this is demonstrated, illustrated amazingly well in the life, in the attitude, in the actions, and in the writing of James the Just. You know James the Just? You know who he was? James the Just, first century. He's the author 
of the book of James. Now, the book of James is known for his, what, his practical application of the gospel that is to be evident in the works and the behavior, the outpouring of our salvation in everyday life, in everyday living. Now, if you know anything about her church history, if you know anything about reformers, Martin Luther, the great German reformer, had a really, we could call a, a love-hate emphasis on hate relationship with the book of James, Okay. Martin Luther was Romans 1.17. We know that you're justified by faith. So it's faith alone. And then James writes this, this phrase, faith without works is dead. And so there's, in a sense, tension here. The reason that Martin Luther called the book of James the epistle of straw, he said it sometimes I just feel like throwing old Jimmy into the fire. One of the reasons is that the book of James only mentions Jesus twice. The very first verse, as the author, he describes himself, what? As a servant of Jesus Christ. And then in the second chapter, the first verse, he refers to what? Us being believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. And so at some level, Martin Luther's saying, he just, he just doesn't mention Christ enough. But, but there's a reason for this, I, I think, do, do, do you know who James the Just was? Yes, he's the author of the book of James. James is the little brother of Jesus. We see that in Matthew chapter 13, verse 55. James is probably, what, the one right after Jesus was born to Mary and Joseph, and then there's three other brothers. Poor Mary with four, five sons. And, and we also know that James was the leader in the church of Jerusalem. In Acts chapter 15, we see this. So what's the church in Jerusalem? Oh, arguably the most impactful church that has ever existed in the history of the entire world. So, so get this for a moment. James... His big brother is Jesus. He is the leader of the most impactful, effective for the gospel church in the history of the entire world. Do you think just for a moment, just, just, just kind of for a moment, how would you or I be acting if our big brother... Okay, was actually there in Genesis 1, 26. And God said, let us, plural, make man in our, plural, image. Like, yeah, that's, that's my big brother. <laughs> like, how do you think? Like, that's got to give me a pretty good parking spot somewhere. We're going to ride that thing. I got a big brother. Stronger than me, smarter than me, faster than me, a better arm, better everything. The jury's out on if he's better looking or not, but we'll just leave that. And I wrote that. Like, that's my big brother. You just clear out of my way. I'm with him. And, and that's just him. Imagine. I'm not waiting in the line. Jesus. God my brother. And yet, James doesn't behave like that. There, there, isn't, there isn't one bit of boasting. As a matter of fact, he actually describes what true humility is. He actually takes this idea of not being wise in your own sight, and he explains it. Turn with me to James chapter 3. Listen to this as there's a description of what this life that we're talking about, you know, that we're pursuing gospel effectiveness, harmony and humility, emphasis on humility here. Listen to what James writes. Chapter 3, verse 13. Who, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, don't boast and be false to the truth. That, that's not the wisdom that comes down from above, but that's earthly. 
It's unspiritual. Listen to this. It's demonic. The enemy prays on that. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But here it is. The wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason. That's what? That's, that's uh, you know what? I'm not, I'm not fully seeing what you're talking about. I'm not in full agreement, but I know your heart. And I have affections towards you, and I'm open to reason with you about it. Full of mercy and good fruits, impartial. What does the word impartial mean? It says what? I'm not going to show favoritism to the few that I like to hang with. Because that's not what we're talking about here. And sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. We begin to see here that humility and wisdom are displayed by knowing there is never ever a case in the church. There is never ever to be a person in the church ever, any one of us, who says, I'm sorry, but that task is beneath me. Never. For any one of us. Yeah, I'm sorry, I don't clean toilets. No, no, no. Don't dare ever say that's someone else's job. And God forbid, even worse, don't ever say this person, that, that person over there, yeah, I know what they did. I know what they said. Don't ever dare say that person is beneath me or below me. Rather, what it is, it is first to be pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, good fruits, impartial. Philip says, don't be snobbish, but take a real interest in ordinary people. Take, take away. What would you learn in church today? Hey, you know, we're having lunch together, and we're like, what did you learn about? I learned that I'm not supposed to be a snob. Let's just cut to the chase. You know why? Because it pierces my heart that people from the outside look in here and say, you know what? Those people that gather, they can be snobbish. That's the reason we will pray and we will gather together for those that are stuck in addictions. But now, thank you, my sister, for saying we're going to gather and we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna grow things and plant things and do whatever like garden people do and then we just want to give it to anyone who's in need that's out there. Because that's what we want to do here. There's, there's, there's never a task that is beneath us. There's never a person that is beneath you. A number of years ago, I was at a, a pastor's conference in Los Angeles, the Shepherd's Conference. And, and it's a, a fairly large conference hosted by a large church, Grace Community. And, and what, what they have decided to do as a church is that they encourage the church body to take time as the pastors come in from all over the country for this one particular week, take time um, to serve them. And so literally people schedule vacations and, and they will schedule time just to come in to serve pastors as they come in. And it is really, I've only been there one time, it is like so neat. Like you walk around as a pastor and, and they're making like little latte machine, like, hey, can I get you this? I'm like, yeah free like it's free coffees they give you like a t-shirt and, and books and it, for some it's just like wow and they had something this is this is weird it sounds weird but they had out in the like the outdoor area the garden area whatever the courtyard they had chairs set up like high chairs set up like like six of them and, and they, had, they had people that were there that were, that were offering to shine the pastor's shoes. And I was like, that's a little uncomfortable. You know, I'm not a foot washing guy either and shoe shining. I just don't know about that. But you know me, I like shiny shoes. Like it's just. And so I, I'd walk by him like four times, you know, sipping my latte. 
And one guy says, hey, can, can, I, can I shine your shoes? I was like, I thought they looked pretty shiny, but if you think, okay. And, and, I, and I, I sat up in the chair, and you're kind of up high, you know, and you're looking around, and there's other pastors sitting up there, and they, they just feel like uncomfortable, like somebody, and there's somebody down, like they're down there, and they're shining your shoes. And the guy sitting next to me, another pastor, he, he leans over and he said, hey, he didn't know who I was. He's like, hey, do you know who's shining the shoes right next to me? And I was like, no, I, like, I don't know. And, and he was a local guy. This, this pastor was a local pastor. And he said, that, that person right there was, is, is the honorable, and I wrote his name, the honorable Charles Chung. I'm like, oh, that's Mr. Chung. No, he goes, that's, that's the honorable Charles Chung. He's the chief judge for the Los Angeles County Superior Court in California. And, and in my mind, I'm like, well, L.A. County, like, L.A. County. L.A. County is the largest county in our entire country. You know that? There, there's 10.1 million people in L.A. County. That's larger than Portugal. It's larger than Austria. It's larger than Israel. And, and, and this man, who in a sense, final word, final authority for over 10 million, and he's on his knees, and he spent an entire week shining pastor's shoes just to say what? There's no task that is beneath me. You know, that, I, I was thinking about, that happened over 10 years ago, and I still remember it. That, that is just, that is just humility. That, that is, that is what Christ did for us. Thankfully, Jesus didn't see us, who were certainly beneath him. And I am so thankful for that. We, we certainly deserve his heavenly father's full wrath. And, and we weren't beneath him. No, in, in Philippians 2 it says that he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He humbled himself. This is Jesus the Christ. Christ. We, we call ourselves Christians. Ones like Christ. We're to humble ourselves. And we should be looking for opportunities to be together in harmonious unity and humble submission. I know our time is escaping very quickly. What, what, what do we do with this? Num number one, I want you to ask yourself, and, and this may take a period of time over the next day, maybe over the next week, I want you to ask, I want you to pray, who, who do I struggle to be in agreement with? And I will assure you of this. I will assure you of this. There will be at least one name on that list because we all struggle to be in agreement. Who do I struggle to be in harmony with? And if we pray, Lord, show that, show that person to me. Bring their, their name. Bring their face to me. Who, who, do I, who do I struggle with? Number two, examine your heart. And in any arrogance or pride any inkling to think for a moment I'm better than I've not done what they've done and thirdly just confess Lord forgive me have mercy upon me confess our sinfulness confess our selfishness to the Lord and then fourthly and, and I would arguably say the hardest is to go to the person. It, it, it may not have to be in person. I think that's the best way, eye to eye. But maybe it's voice to voice. Maybe, maybe give them a call. Or, or maybe if you know that it's, it's, this isn't worth, this isn't worth, this is not a major foundational doctrinal that we have what? We have, we have the strength to elevate ourselves 
and elevate what? That person over our potential conflict and just say, Lord, this is in your hands and it's, it's over. It's not, it's not an issue. Go to that person, speak to them, strive to love them. And what I would say is, is seek to, to serve them in some way. So if it is something major that you need to dialogue about, if not, then what we are together as brothers and sisters and we will spend eternity together. I love the fact that we're able to focus on what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us. How did he humble himself and become obedient? He offered himself on the cross. We are what, as a body of believers gathered, and one of the ordinances that we do regularly is remember, don't forget, until the Lord comes again, this doing remembrance of me, we look back about what the body of Jesus that was broken, his blood that was poured out for us. We, we, we pray and we thank the Lord right now for the presence of the Holy Spirit who is setting us apart in holiness. It may be a slow, churning journey, but God is at work when we submit and surrender. And communion also focuses until the Lord comes, until the Lord comes, until the Lord comes, and I cannot wait until the Lord comes. So we have the opportunity as believers, and if you are a believer here this morning, you've acknowledged the fact that you are a sinner in need of a Savior, and there's only one. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes in the Father except by me. You believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. And you desire to live in full obedience Desire to, to what? Not just call him Lord, but live with him being Lord of your life. If you've made that decision, then this is for you. Please, we're going to have opportunity to, to celebrate and commemorate what Jesus Christ has done. If, if you've not made that decision, then let me be very honest and say today, it says in the word, today is the day of salvation. You can make that decision right here, right now in your seat. Lord, forgive me a sinner, and I trust you to be my Savior. And I want to follow you as Lord. Then, then this is for you. It's, it's simply what? It's, it's bread that Jesus used, I, I think, as the ultimate illustration. The more senses that are involved, we smell it, we, we feel it, we see it, we, we taste it. Tell you what, we don't, we don't forget those things. And Jesus said, I don't you forget this. And he was seated with his disciples in the upper room. He took bread and he broke it. And he says, this is a picture of my body. This is what's been done for you, offered to you. Eat it. Some false religions would say that bread right there actually turns into the body of Jesus Christ. It does not. It's bread. Make that clear. Jesus then what? He knew the same idea. When you taste something, you see it, you smell it, you don't forget it. And he poured out the fruit of the vine. He poured out a glass of, of wine and they took a sip and they passed it to the next. They took a sip. He said, this is my blood. Without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sin. The giving of life, the giving of the life of the Lord Jesus Christ offers us Life more abundantly. John chapter 10, verse 10. Ah, the privilege. The privilege that we have to remember what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us. I'm going to ask the um, elders, a number of deacons as well, are going to come and, and just in, in light of being respectful to our setting rather than passing it out to you, we're going to ask that you would just take a few moments I appreciated Aaron and, and Robbie's wisdom this past week on, on how we prepare our hearts. And it really happens even before we get here. But no, even in these few moments, if I could remind you of the words of the Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 5. He said, if you're, if you're going to give a gift at church, but you remember that there's something between you and your brother, he says, don't give the gift. Go and make it right with your brother and then give it. 
Same, same exact. If there's something that you know is between, I, I would just, I would encourage you to go to that person, whether or not now or whether or not in the immediate future, so that we can what? We, we don't do this in a flippant, uncaring manner. We don't ever do this in an unworthy way. We prepare our hearts to remember and to receive the Lord's table. Take a few moments in just quietness. There's an awkwardness to silence, but that's a good thing. Examine your heart. Thank the Lord for his sacrifice. In a moment, you can come up to any one of these or stations in the back, whatever you're closest to. Take the bread and the cup. Go back to your seat, and I'll bless it. I'll pray over it, and we will receive it together as family. May the Lord bless.
bow your heads and, and pray with me? Father, our heads are bowed as a visible sign of our submission to you and to your authority. We recognize our unworthiness, our sinfulness, and we thank you and we praise you for your mercy and your grace and your love. We thank you, Lord, for this day and this reminder of the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. And Lord, I, I pray that we would just not take this as something that we quickly do and, and move on, but Lord, that throughout the course of this day, we would, we would go slow and we would stay low, remembering who you are. Thank you for your blood that was poured out, that redeemed, that atoned for our sin, your body that was broken, the suffering, the pain, and the anguish that your son took on our behalf. Thank you for that. Bless this bread to our bodies, this cup. May it be a wonderful reminder of how we are to offer ourselves as humble servants to one another just as you've done that for us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul actually addresses and writes to the church at Corinth and gives instruction on how this is to be received. And he says, I receive from the Lord what I also deliver to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the very night on which he was betrayed, took bread. And after he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this, eat this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And hold on to this promise as often as you eat this bread. Every single time we eat this bread and we drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death. We remember the Lord's death until he comes and we look forward to when he comes. Craig, would you come and close us?